listeners, welcome back to a new episode of A Real Page Turner with Danny Garanza and Mara Maros. Hello. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about the popular book and movie Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And this is one of Flynn's best-selling books to date. It was the number one times list bestseller for eight weeks. Um, but it's her third book because she also wrote Sharp Objects in Dark Places. And um, Sharp Objects was also turned into a TV series, but they've turned Gone Girl into a movie. Gone Girl was written in 2012. So the movie adaptation came uh, just two years later in 2014. It was directed by uh, acclaimed filmmaker David Fincher. The screenplay was written by Gillian Flynn herself. It had a pretty well-known cast. It started uh, in the, the main roles as the husband and wife, Ben Affleck and Ro- uh, Rosamund Pike. Also stars uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry. And for anyone watching this movie expecting to see Barney Stinson and Medea, uh, you're sorely mistaken. This is not that type of film. It's a, a thriller thriller film. And it was a big fi- uh, financial success. It grossed nearly uh, $400 million, $369.3 million to be exact. It was a critical uh, success, uh, particularly the performance of Rosamund Pike, with many critics allotting her performance, and she earned numerous uh, award nominations, including an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. I thought she won for that, or nominated. I thought she not was nominated for that. I believe yeah. um, Julian Moore was the winner that year. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I. So, for those who don't know the story, it is about a young woman, a young couple. And the woman disappears and the husband's accused of her disappearance. And it goes through twists and turns of what really happened to her as she frames him for her disappearance and and murder, which then she reappears at the end and he is cleared of all wrongdoing. But it's really, I would say it's a psychological thriller and you're not really sure what's going on in the first time you read it or see it. But I liked the structure of the book, the way it alternated between his point of view and then her diary and the way they counted down to like day of, one day gone, two day gone. And then they went to her point of view, which I like. Um, And they seem to do that in the movie too. You know, we didn't have just one narrator the whole time of the movie because we flipped to her um, point of view at one time too. Um, and more so saw her writing in the diary and narrating it than, you know, reading the diary entries. But I like yeah. that format. Well, first, I do want to say, and this is, you know, a little redundant, but if you're listening to this, yes, there there will be spoilers on our podcast, you know, but essentially with the whole nature of this podcast, there are always going to be spoilers. But back to the format, uh, yeah, I really did enjoy it. This was the first book I ever read that featured that kind of a, a format, just, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, so that was kind of cool. I thought it was very interesting. And yeah, and I remember I did see the film years ago. I actually have the DVD, you know, but it had been a couple of years since I had watched it. And so I was, what? so as I was reading it, I was trying to like picture and trying to, you know, picture the film as I was, as I was doing it. And I was trying to remember if, if the structure was the same and then when watching it recently i was like oh yeah it was you know i was kind of surprised at how close it is not exact 
not exactly, but how they did show her frequently writing in the in the diary and acting out those scenes and uh, numerous flashbacks. So. Yeah, and I know I think Gillian Flynn, she also wrote the screenplay, which is probably why it is so close to the book because she had a hand in it. So I felt like she kept pretty true. True. You know, there were definitely some changes, but, you know, I thought that the overall arc of the story was pretty accurate to the book. And I liked, I liked Ben Affleck as the husband, as, as Nick, because then it, you know, kind of the, the book describes him as, you know, handsome and smooth a little bit, but also kind of, you know, down home from Missouri. And I thought he did a really good job. I liked him casting it. And, you know, going back and rereading the books, I'd read this years ago and watched it years ago and then rereading it. Now it's hard to read it not with Ben Affleck in mind. <laughs> so I think that was kind of hard and, and that plays into it. Whereas the first time you read it, maybe that's not who you conjure in your mind. But now that it's there, um, it's hard to not think that he's really kind of perfect for it. Yeah, that, that kind of always a sticking point with me is that I, uh, I I do frequently picture the actors themselves as I'm reading it. And as I was reading it, I kept, you know, just picturing Ben Affleck. And, but it was kind but it was kind of interesting because it'd been so long since I'd seen the movie that, you know, I didn't, a lot of the secondary characters, I don't remember, the actors weren't household names and I didn't quite remember who, who they were. So I kind of conjured up my own image for the for them. Yeah, and I it like was you know, Patrick Harris as Desi. You know, yeah. he's not what you would expect. To go, uh, you know, it's a different role than what you're usually seeing him in, but I thought he did it well. I think his character was a little bit different in the movie than in the book. You know, in the movie, he is kind of very well-to-do and rich. But in the book, you get more of a glimpse into, like, I think his psyche, because when the husband comes to the house, when Nick comes to the house to confront him and see what he knows, he gets to meet his mother, who's very weird. And it's kind of a strange relationship between he and the mother. And, you know, he seems a little bit weirder in the book than the movie. Like the movie, he's just kind of rich and spoiled. Where I think the book, you get a little bit that he's just a little bit weird. Yeah. And it kind of uh, gives some notice to uh, Amy's descriptions of him and her history with him we come to learn and you know that she's you know very that she's pretty crazy herself you know that you really can't trust her with with anything but she in her life she describes him as you know this stalker and that he couldn't you know he was very like distraught when they broke up he wanted to kill himself and and all that so in the book as you do beat him you do get you know the sense that he's not you know all together there that he there is a, a peculiarness uh, to to him it does make you know it does make it a little mysterious that maybe there is something there to him that he's not just he's there's a lot of gray area he's not just black and white yeah yeah i liked that and i i did like tyler perry as the attorney and i went back in the book and looked to see like did they describe him a certain way where i would have thought it was going to be somebody else. And Gillian Flynn left him pretty vague, except his mannerisms and his like demeanor and what he wore. But she really didn't describe him in any great physical detail where she, which I thought was great because it kind of left it open to interpretation. So thought that 
Tyler Perry cast as that did a really good job because you didn't, when I went back and read it, I'm like, no, she didn't describe him like physically as, you know, a race or a hair color or anything like that, that it was really good that she did that because it really left it open for, I think, casting and for the reader to think about who do they want in that? Who do they want? Who do they conjure up? Yeah, there was one uh, little instance where she did kind of describe describe him. And it's, and it's kind of funny that, you know, Tyler Perry himself would get cast in this because she met in the book. She mentions that uh, his character was had a noti- noticeable uh, spray tan, which Tyler oh, Perry. I didn't pick be, up on that. Yeah. Being African-American, would it be spray tanned? So, hmm. you know, but other but other than that, it was pretty open and I did enjoy his character. I did enjoy his character, but there were a couple things that I think were left out in the book that I think could have added to the movie. Because I noticed that like there's a couple instances where Perry's character Tanner Bolt is giving is giving advice to Nick and legal advice and trying to help him get out in front of get out in front of the game, you know, to kind of dictate how the media is going to take this. Cause this uh, is a major part of both the book and the movie of like how the the media reacts to this and what happened mm-hmm. what happened so he's very media savvy he's like a he's kind of like like a johnny cochran type type lawyer where he's like a celebrity lawyer essentially and he kind of described you know describes to nick what he needs to do and he gives these like list of things it's like this is what you have to do and da 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 like this whole list of things and it seems like a very filmable moment that I could see. And as I was reading that, I was trying to remember if there is a part in that, but then I didn't, I didn't see that in, in the movie that I think it could, you know, that would have been a nice little, little thing that there, there are some instances where he's given his advice, but I think the book describes something that could have been more, uh, a more visual and audio standard there. Yeah. I, I do remember that. And I think when we talk about we were talking a little bit about the structure of the book and the movie. And I think that leads us to, you know, the use of what we would call an unreliable narrator, because I think Nick starts off by telling us one thing, but he he strategically leaves things out that we begin to see that changes how we feel about him or implies his guilt or innocence. And the same with Amy, you know, she creates a whole other persona and tells us things that we find out later didn't really happen. You know, we we know that Nick, we find out that Nick is ha- was having an affair, although, you know, that that doesn't come out in the beginning and we kind of just get his his take on things. So I like the use of the unreliable narrator because it's like we never really know that what he's telling us or what she's telling us is the truth. Yeah, because you're kind of in the beginning and to kind of, you know, sympathize and you see you know, and then like as we find out about Nick's affair, it's like it proves he's not not perfect. And you know, obviously Amy takes it to a whole different level of people not being perfect. <laughs> so it's uh definitely intriguing. And what I liked what the movie did visually with the puppets and the woodshed when they find when he finds the things that she has bought with the credit card and his name. And she leaves him those puppets. And I liked that what the movie did with that visually, because it stayed pretty true to what the book did, but it was just kind of, you know, one of those moments in the movie when they open the doors and all of the stuff is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was like really well done because it does give you that visual kind of like, holy moly, 
moment. Yeah, that's one of the rules of screenwriting is show, don't tell. That, you know, it kind of like, it kind of handcuffs uh, book authors that they kind of had to explain everything, whereas movies can just boom right there and, and show, show us. So, yeah, that was a really good moment, you know, that big uh, visual. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah. And what, so kind of why we're talking about that, I think what I'm finding as we're doing this every week, reading the books and watching the movies, what I miss the most in a movie is the interior monologue and explanation that we get in a store, in a, in a book, right? It's that expanding on something and giving it context um, where we have that little bit more insight than we see in a, you know, that a movie doesn't have the ability to do because they're not using words to set us up for the most part, right? Like we don't have that insight into a character's for the most part, into their inner working and thoughts where I feel like in the books, you get a lot of that. And maybe that's just my liking that attention to detail (laughs) that I, I find I miss that. Like in the other ones that we've read, like that's what I feel like is missing for me in the movie is that interior monologue or information. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, again, you know, in, in movies the that are more real, show, don't tell. And they kind of, and movies will use, utilize other aspects to tell the story. A lot of like vision. Uh, visual aspects and help to move the story along because it's kind of just keep keep it going keep it moving have a fast pace and um you know so that's that's why like you know adapting books into films can be a very very tricky process and as we've seen you know there's varying uh, degrees of popularity and acclaim between both between both of them but, but i did enjoy both here. I did too. And I thought the, when she, when Amy gets free of Desi, I thought the movie did a really good job of showing us how she set that up. And, you know, that scene when she kills him is really, really, you know, kind of well done, which I really liked the way like they, they shot that and set that up. Yeah. The music was really good. It's kind of like this pulsating music like you know it was like it was like very like vibrations i think it was i think it's trent reznor yeah right he did the music he and somebody else did the music for this yeah i know trent reznor and david fincher have a close relationship yeah trent reznor and atticus ross okay Uh, so they um He's, yeah, uh, they're kind of the go-to composers for all of Fincher's films. <laughs> yeah. I like, so. I liked what he, they, yeah, it was very good. The music was very good. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, I thought the only other major difference is when the parents needed money, you know, in the book, it's a very big scene and they come to their house and they ask them for it. Whereas in the um, movie, Amy just kind of tells them. And again, I think it's just one of those plot points that's easy to like, just condense into just a, a snippet because it's really only really only to show where their money went um, and why they sold their their brownstone, you know. So I could see why it, that was condensed into like probably like a thirty second thing in the movie, other than a whole scene in the book. Yeah, and that that's something that you know you come to learn with with movies is that you there's a lot of editing that goes in, in part of it, and you know filmmakers have to make the tough tough choices to cut down and condense condense things, and you know, and the main point of that was just to prove that you know this couple has gone through financial struggles 
hospitals. They mentioned how they both lost their jobs during um, during like the economic downturns around like 2008, 2009. That that which was a rough period for everybody there. And uh, so, kind of meant to just highlight that you know they've had some financial struggles, and you know that in the movie, you know you didn't really need a a major scene from that because uh, it doesn't um contribute a whole heck of a lot to the plot right yeah i agree it, yeah and the only other person i really liked in the movie who i thought was really cast well was Rhonda boney i liked the detective i like kim dickens is her name and i like her <laughs> like she's been i forget what other things she's been in but i really liked her yeah. Yeah. She she was good. She kinda, you know, she really delivered that no nonsense, kind of just, you know, dragnet just the facts <laughs> type of uh character. Um, but one thing I you know, I did like her character more in the movie than in the book. Cause there were a couple things in the book that I thought were kind of interesting that were never really dealt dealt with dealt much into. Because one thing I know she constantly uh uh, t- um, puts down Nick about him not taking responsibility of, of things for one when she's shocked that he hasn't contacted amy's parents yet right she assume and that is in the movie but the one thing she assumes is that he's the youngest in his family mm-hmm. and because she said all oh, the youngest there you are used to having other people take care of everything that they don't you know they may not realize some things that have to be taken care of which that would have made sense if his character was the youngest but he mentions that he's a twin and has a sister and even mentions like I'm actually a few a few minutes older than my sister in the book so like it didn't really make much sense I think you know it, a line like that would have made more sense and I believe she does another one or two instances mentions that him being the youngest and that would have it would have made you know been a good point if his character was actually the youngest but you know other than that I just it didn't resonate but that's only a, a minor complaint there so yeah, yeah. I really I really like her. I thought she was really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I also go ahead. Sorry. I also no, I also really enjoyed the the sister, Margot, mm-hmm. who they keep calling Go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, that took some getting used to in the books, and you like go, go, you know, because I'm thinking go where <laughs> for a second. But, yeah, they didn't do it as much in the movie. No, no. <laughs> but then but then again, that's another thing where movies have an advantage there because in books you have to kind of explain everything that even you know you have to write what's happening where he said go pour pours me a drink you know in the book in the movie you just see her pouring the drink so you don't have to explain that so it would really only come into play if they're saying hey go what are you doing or something yeah no you're right they they kind of reinforce that in the movie i mean in the book using go to establish their relationship and how close they are and it's a nickname Mm -hmm. but they don't really need to do that in the movie because you see it yeah the um the actress uh carrie coon was like a name but it sounded familiar but i'm you know unfamiliar some some of her work but i thought she did really really good job and it's it's funny because because I mentioned reading the book, like I had see, seen the movie before, so I was picturing you know Ben Affleck and you know Patrick Harris and those kind of, <laughs> um, and in these roles. But when it came to her, like I you know I was unfamiliar with the actress and I couldn't really remember her, what she looked like, so her character from the film, you know. So I was trying to like just picture different different things and mannerisms and whatnot. And then as I watched the movie again, I felt like yeah, was did. She, 
pretty strictly adhere to the image I conjured up in my mind. So I just yeah, thought that, yeah. that was interesting. I liked her. Um, now, I will say that Gone Girl is my least favorite Jillian, Gillian Flynn book. And so I don't know if you've read the others, but I thought, you know, sharp, so sharp objects is also was a series was, a, was put out with um like Amy Adams. And mm-hmm. that's probably my favorite. <laughs> and I get, that's probably my favorite book of hers. And it's super mm-hmm. creepy. And I think if you think Gone Girl is creepy, like sharp objects is super creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I think it surpasses Gone Girl for like psychological thriller creepiness. Um, but it that's probably one of my more favorite books by her than mm-hmm. than Gone Girl. And I and I like Gone Girl. And it you know I watched it. My daughter was watching with me, and she's like, "He did it. He did it." And then she's like, "No, wait, she did it. Wait, like so." It's funny watching with someone who hasn't seen it before when you've read the book and you know what's actually going to happen and you've seen the movie. You know, so it's fun to watch it with someone who hasn't who doesn't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with you that Gone Girl is my least favorite Gillian Flynn book. But it is, it is also my favorite Gillian Flynn book as well, because it's the only book I've read of hers. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, so... You know, okay. No, but I did enjoy, I did enjoy both. And I did think, you know, in, you know, this series that we've done in these... Co- uh, this is one of the more faithful adaptations. There's a couple, like we've mentioned some of the differences. There's been like some minor characters who are uh, eliminated or reduced. Like there's one like Tanner Bolt's wife, uh, but she only has one, you know, one scene where she's kind of there helping Nick prepare. Another one is uh, Hillary Handy. That yeah. she is a, she is someone that Amy claims was obsessed with her and kind of like uh, did like a, um, it kind of ch- changed herself to like be more like Amy and, and stuff that I feel like her character wasn't really necessary because we saw, you know, how Amy lied about Desi Collins, you know, Neil Patrick Harris's character. We saw about her boyfriend, Tommy O'Hara, that she accused of rape. And, you know, we see that in the film. We see that in the film, you know, so it kind of like they serve their purpose of, you know, showing how unhinged she is and how much of a pathological liar she is that, you know, Hillary Handy's character would have just been uh, just more frosting on the cake. Yeah, and, a little gratuitous. Yeah. And, and I felt like that character may have been a little, could have been perceived as a little silly because that you know the whole like stalker one emulate someone is very it's kind of a cliche i've seen that in a number of movies and tv shows that it really wouldn't it really wouldn't work and probably wouldn't um drive that point home of that it would be much of a distract distraction and would take people out of the moment would be too silly as far as silliness goes you know the the neighbor the pregnant the pregnant neighbor noelle was it hawthorne noelle hawthorne or something she uh her character I thought was very funny and I do uh the actress her name is Casey Wilson and I'm a big fan of her she used to be on a sitcom I enjoy called Happy Endings yep. if you've never seen it check it out it's on Netflix oh, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite shows so I really enjoyed her character I thought she was very funny and you know kept you know and provided those moments of, of levity in a serious film while her character also being pretty essential to the plot <laughs> 
right, so, right. Yeah. It highlights again the manipulation of Amy. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that one too. And it's it and it's funny how she and it shows how like much she kept from Nick mm-hmm. that you know to to kind of uh frame him. Right. That, she was playing the long game. <laughs> yeah. She went and established this friendship with, with her. Nick is like blindsided when Rhonda Boney is saying, like, you know, this is you your wife's best friend and she and he's like what it's like we see her once in a while we wave hi to her that's about it <laughs> something but you know yeah. behind nick's back she had established this uh, well fake friendship <laughs> they really weren't friends <laughs> they, you know benefited her yeah yeah and then she discusses the, the useful idiot yeah so what else anything else or final parting thoughts yeah, yeah a couple of characters are reduced like nick's father really only has one scene in the movie when he's more prominent mm-hmm. in the film and uh, Amy's parents are kind of bo- a little more pro- prominent in the movie, in the book, I mean, that, you know, in the movie, they just kind of show her at the like press conferences and whatnot. So, you know, but I think those, you know, you kind of have to, you know, in a writing term, we've learned you have to kill your darlings and you have to cut down on this. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it made sense. Yeah, this was a good one to revisit because like I said before, like I read this years ago and watched the movie years ago. So I thought it was, you know, it's one of those more popular ones and con- more contemporary, although it seems like, I guess, 2012 is almost 10 years ago. So, um, yeah. Haven't read the book or seen the movie. It's a great place to start, although we've probably ruined a lot of it for you. That's okay. <laughs> or put us on pause and go do it and then come back and listen. <laughs> okay. Or just get one of those men in black mind eraser things. Yeah. <laughs> you heard nothing. Thanks, Donnie and all our listeners and uh, keep reading. And keep watching. Keep watching.